Um, just a quick message to the males who are out there. Um, Friday night and Saturday, uh, you know, we're doing this thing with Innovation Church, and Innovation Church is a, a sister church out in Fraser. And um, and I said Sunday that racism is um, alive and well. Um, one of the th- there's a couple of little videos that they're going to show on Saturday morning that I think will just absolutely shock you. Um, at least one of them will. Um, but I hope that you can be with this gentleman. Uh, and, I, and as I said Sunday morning, if you have to choose between Friday night or Saturday morning, come Saturday morning as we go out there um, to Fraser um, and uh, are served breakfast by these brothers. And, um, and then there's a panel on the whole idea of gospel and race. And it is, um, it's a huge issue, and I think it's getting huger instead of smaller, which is an interesting thing. You would think that it would ultimately, but I guess it is racism that is um, established inside the heart. Um, And then I'm going to try to quit a a, a bit uh, sooner than normal tonight so that you can have a lot of time to say goodbye to the Otleys. So let me get going here then. um, last week we were at verse 13, which is it, it just quite a statement. Um, for you were called to freedom, brothers only. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And then this last little clause down here, I somewhat neglected because uh, for time. Uh, but through love, serve one another. And we talked about it real quickly. But um, uh, the responsibility um, that is one that grows out of our freedom is that it leads us to a service of God and each other. Um, after you've embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ and his finished work for you, then this is how you live. Um, through love, you serve one another. That's, uh, and then he's going to say some more. But then from there, in verse 14, and, I, I, and we're going to look at, we're going to try to cover 14, 15, and 16, and I'm not sure we'll make it, but we'll, um, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the the desires of the flesh. A lot in there, guys. Let's uh, let's take a look at it. Gang, Christian liberty, which um, was introduced in verse 1 of chapter 5, Christian liberty does not allow us to live a lawless life and call that grace. And that's what I think we're seeing so much of um, in this, um, what I, I have called in the past hyper-grace, that it's, uh, it's used an ex- as an excuse because we live in grace, we can do just about anything we want to. And that's not, that is prohibited by uh, lots of places, but verse 13 is one of them. Um, gang, um, everyone who has been set free by this gospel, by this Savior, expresses his or her liberty in three ways. Um, Self-control, loving service, and an obedience to law. These are the ways that our freedom is expressed, or these are the venues, I guess you could say. Self-control... Loving service of, of, um, of the body 
and obedience to the law of God. We've been set free from the law for the law. Do you get that? We're set free from the law as a means by which we might establish our own righteousness. But having been set free from that attempt, that vain attempt to save ourselves, we are, we are set free from that and that condemnation of the law. We are now to live by the law. You know, modern people hate authority, and, and, and some of us do as well. Authority, we really struggle with authority. Um, for moderns, freedom means that, that I'm supposed to have no restraints whatsoever. Uh, gang, this command that he gives us in verse 14, the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's very succinct. It's very popular. It's very widely known. And it is impossible. (laughs) In and of yourself, you will never be able to obey that, that sentence that summarizes all law. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, guys, ceremonies and rituals, those are easy. We learned the ceremonies. We learned the right steps to take. We learned the right, you know, gyrations to go through. Those are easy. This is impossible. What it's calling us to is to love each other the way that we want to be loved. And by the way, this is an interesting little footnote. Did you know that this is a quote from the Old Testament? We, we so often think of this being the New Testament stuff. This is quoted from Leviticus 19. Um, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's, that's Leviticus. Um, once I have embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ as the Savior from my sin, I'm supposed to live like this. I shall love my neighbor as myself. That's that's the summation of law. I'm supposed to live in self-control, loving service, and guided by by law. Um, But when, verse 15, but when love does not exist, biting and devouring does. He goes on to say, if you bite and devour one another, watch out, you might be consumed. So, gang, true Christian liberty expresses itself in three ways. Self-control, loving service, and obedience to to God's law. But the question now becomes, how is that possible? And that's what he tells you in verse 16. Um, We walk by the Spirit. Now, Jimmy Umloff made a Freudian slip this evening, uh, he left out the stanza about the whole Holy Spirit. Therefore, I must cover it with great length. Gang, beginning at verse 16, going through the end of the chapter, that's a section, this is a section about the Holy Spirit. Look at it. It's mentioned six times. Uh, Or he's mentioned six times. Verse 16, verse 17, verse 18, verse 22, and twice in verse 25. Uh, the reliance and the dependence is supposed to be on the Spirit. And let me, let me point this out to you too, guys. 
Do you notice this walk by the Spirit? There's a lot of discussion that's going on in theological circles these days about sanctification. You know what sanctification is? Sanctification is the life of the believer. Um, and, and the question is, is sanctification monergistic or synergistic? I've, I've put that up here before. Is sanctification monergistic or synergistic? Okay, um, define the terms. Monergistic means mono, it's alone. Um, guys, uh, regeneration is monergistic. That is, God does that by himself. But now the question seems to be have arisen in the theological world as to whether sanctification is also monergistic. That is, only one person is operative. Now, now look at verse 16. He says, walk by the Spirit. Gang, first of all, the word walk, the Greek verb is in the imperative. It's a command issued to us. Um, the, the, the scriptures issues a command to us to walk. And then it adds by the Spirit. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know where there's a better summation of the synergistic nature of sanctification than right there. There's synergism. You, you know what I mean by synergism? There's this cooperation between us and the Holy Spirit. I walk knowing that the enablement and the empowerment to do so is by the Holy Spirit. I, I, and, and very frankly, I, I, for the life of me, don't understand how this can be supported. And, and I don't think it is very well, but gang, once I've been brought into this kingdom by the monergistic work of God's Spirit giving me a new heart called regeneration, now because I do have the Holy Spirit living within me, I'm issued this command, walk. There's to be a pattern of life. A pattern of life that is earmarked by um, this admonition in um, verse 14, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. How do I do that? How do I obey that? I do that by the Holy Spirit. Um... The only way to conquer the raging of my own flesh is that I yield to the Holy Spirit. Gang, this exhortation in verse 14 is impossible otherwise. It sounds nice. Even the world adopts it. The non-Christian world adopts that principle. Love your neighbor as yourself. Sounds so simple. It cannot be performed outside of reliance upon the Holy Spirit. Um, gang, um, the admonition or the exhortation of verse 14 um, is never to be understood in the sense that I'm on my own now and I've got to grind it out in the power of my own flesh. I've got to grip my teeth. And I've got to clench my fists. And I've got to love my neighbor as myself. It was never intended to be like that. I am to do... How does that accomplish? Well, I walk by the Spirit. Um, um, 
If Paul had meant for us to grind this out in the power of the flesh, that would be a contradiction of everything that he's been teaching in this book, in this book of Galatians, which is the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Um, Gang, our love for each other and even for our spouses is always faulty. It's always flawed. It's always broken. It's always insufficient. But I am given the command to do that, and the only possible way of accomplishing it is that I walk by the Spirit. Uh, To pull off this love thing of verse 14, um, what he means, that is, what I mean by that, says Paul in verse 16, is I want you to walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. Um, I fight against my flesh by a reliance upon the Holy Spirit. By the way, I I do need to stop real quick and and say something about the Holy Spirit again. Um, (laughs) Gang, um, for instance, Islam does not believe in in the deity of the Holy Spirit. Islam does not believe in a Trinitarian God. Uh, There are many who reject the deity of the Holy Spirit. One of the reasons that Islam rejects the Trinity is because they say that the word Trinity does not appear in the Scriptures. And that is correct. The word Trinity does not appear in the Bible. But one of the reasons that we believe in and teach a doctrine of the Trinity is because of passages like these. Do you see what's being ascribed to the Holy Spirit here? We are, we are walking by the Spirit. And who's that? Some force? No, it's a person of the Trinity. You know, I had a man in my office just recently and and bless his heart, he's a, he's a, he's a sweet man and, and a, a nice guy, a personable guy. And, and he has grabbed a hold of every unbelieving thought that could possibly exist. And he's got them all bundled up in this one package so that he can, he can object to the Christian message. And one of the things that he said to me, uh, one, of, one of those bits and pieces that he got was, well, uh, <coughs> I mean, you, know, you don't believe that... Um, I mean, in that Trinity, because, I mean, the, the, uh, uh, Jesus didn't even exist until the New Testament. And I said, what? And I went back to Genesis 1. Genesis 1. You know, that's the first chapter in the Bible. And, and I showed him this verse 26, which most of you know, which simply says, Let us make man in our own image. And I asked him, I said, who is God talking to there? And he said, well, he's he's talking to Adam. And I said, (laughs) Adam wasn't made yet. It says, let us make man in our image. My my point is, guys, 
No, there's no statement of the, tr- the word Trinity found in the Bible. But the doctrine that best summarizes the data that is offered to us in the scriptures is the doctrine known as the Trinity. And you come to a text like Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our own, who is God talking to? He's talking to the two other members of the Trinity. And so you come to Galatians 5 and you see these, these divine things being entrusted to the Holy Spirit. You will never live a successful moment in a Christian life apart from him. Apart from his enablement, apart from his empowerment. Um, yeah, you can say, well, I don't believe into the Trinity, but guys, here's a section that is treating the Holy Spirit as if he's playing a divine role. That, that, that was my point. But now, guys, again, I, I want to quit a little bit early, but l- let, me, let me just show you um, this one thing, and I want to I wanna read you something that I hope will encourage you. Um, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. All right, first of all, the desires of the flesh. How is the word flesh used in the New Testament? It is a word that is pointing to everything that is true of us that we got naturally by birth. The life of the Spirit is everything that we got supernaturally by the Holy Spirit reborning us. And so he says, there's this warfare that is going on inside. It's an internal struggle. It's not an external struggle. There's this warfare that is going on inside the believer. Gang, the Christian's life is so much more difficult than the non-Christians. They don't have a battle. There's only one side. But ours... We got two. We got the life of the flesh. Everything that I got by being born of nature, warring against the life of the Spirit. Now, guys, here's what I wanted to say to you. And and very frankly, this is really important. As you deal with your own strugglings um, you will never be completely rid of the desires of the flesh I mean some of your translations say lust of the flesh when, when, when I use the word lust everybody thinks sex it doesn't just mean that but this is probably better translated you are never going to be fully free from the desires of the flesh. Now, you, you may not get how important that is, but it's pretty doggone important. Because, guys, every time you blow it, crater, act ugly, um, 
If you do not understand that there is a battle that's going on inside of you, then you are tempted to despair. Now, I am saying to you that you are never going to be free from all of the desires, all the lusts, all this this detritus of sin that is in us. But who are you? You're just a preacher. I mean, very frankly, I better be right about that. But to give you more comfort, (coughs) pardon me, that I am right, I want to read you a quote from Martin Luther. Now, Martin Luther is just a man too, but he's a smarter man than I was. I am. And he's a much more, his soul is far more developed than his mind. And I want you to listen to this quote. It's, it's fairly brief, and I'll quit after this. Um, I want you to listen to this quote from, it's only four or five sentences. Because, guys, this should comfort you. Because you know what? You, you acted ugly today, didn't you? Or was I the only one? Listen to what Luther says. The lust of the flesh is not altogether extinct in us. People ask me, can Christians have an affair? And I think, you know, I wish you wouldn't. I hope you don't. And if you do, there's going to be consequences galore that you're not going to like any of them. But can Christians have an affair? Unfortunately, the answer to that question is yes. Can I? <laughs> Last night, um, we had our opening um, um, episode of uh, Grief Share. And the guy that runs that, Gary Hewlett, I mean, he's just, he's just wired to run that thing. I mean, he is just... Now, he's got to have this little piece of surgery and get a, some kind of heart defibrillator something or other. So Jonathan's going to run it next Monday night. There were 19 people here last night. And seven of them are dealing with suicide in their families. Now, one of the earliest funerals I ever did was a young woman by the name of Colleen. I've told you about this before. Her husband was a seminary student. Um, uh, Her father-in-law was an elder in the church in Ocala. And uh, she tried to kill herself by taking an ice pick, and and, um, she missed. And so um, I went to the hospital to see her, and she, you know, they put her on all these drugs to try to help her get... And I'm all for those drugs, by the way, guys. I'm all for them as temporary bridges to to try to get you out of it. The next time, about a year later, she stuck her head inside of an oven with the oven on <laughs> and tried to kill herself. And um, she didn't make it. Uh, she wasn't successful. The third time she tried, she doused herself with kerosene and lit it. And she succeeded. Now, you tell me, can a Christian commit suicide? 
You know that John MacArthur got in huge trouble because he answered yes. You know that story? You know who John MacArthur is? A young man came to see him and asked him, could a Christian commit suicide? And he said yes, and the guy went out and committed suicide, and the parents sued him. And, and, and he lost, and it was appealed, and he lost again. And it was appealed, and he lost again. And it finally went to the California Supreme Court, and they won. But the point is, ladies and gentlemen, can a Christian do that? How in the world does that happen? I don't know. But the answer is yes. And here's the reason why. The lust of the flesh is not altogether extinct in us. It's not. And we blood-bought, redeemed people can do some pretty nasty things. Let me keep on. Um, Listen to this. This is, again, this is Luther. Um, The lust of the flesh is not altogether extinct. It rises up again and again and wrestles with the spirit. That's what I'm saying, guys. The, the, the Holy Spirit, you know, in this walk in the flesh, I mean, <coughs> pardon me, walk by the Spirit, uh, synergistic, uh, you know, you, you got to walk, uh, you got to cooperate, and <coughs> but there's this flesh in there, and, you know, they're battling it out. And he's saying, it, that is the flesh, everything that I got by, by uh, virtue of being born in nature, it rises up again and again, and wrestles with the Spirit. Ain't that the truth? I shouldn't be doing this. But I did it. Well, you lost that round, folks. And there will be consequences. One of them is not that you're kicked out of the kingdom. But our our sin always has consequences. But um, it rises up again and again and wrestles with the Spirit. He goes on. No flesh, listen, not even that of the true believer is so completely under the influence of the Spirit that it will not bite or devour or at least neglect the commandment of love. Ain't that the truth? Every husband in this room knows the truth of that. Because we're charged with husbands loving our wives as Christ loved the church. And we ain't doing so good, are we, guys? Because this flesh will rise up and it will wrestle with the spirit. And there are way too many times where flesh wins, spirit loses. One more sentence. At, this is so good. At the slightest provocation, it flares up. That is the flesh. Demands to be revenged. And hates a neighbor like an enemy. Or at least does not love him as much as he ought to be loved. Which is the command of verse 14. 
He issues the command at verse 14, and then he tells you in verse 16 how it's impossible to do, but he tells you in verse 16 how it is to be done. We are to walk by the Spirit knowing that there is an inward battle going on between flesh and spirit. And there are numerous times where our... um, The battle is lost by us in the flesh. And then, guys, the real losers, you know, it's not the kingdom, it's not Jesus, it's us. Because once again, we have chosen to live according to flesh. And that ain't ever pretty. So, guys, uh, the exhortation, verse 14, the how am I supposed to do that since it's impossible, it's in verse 16. We're going to come back next week and try to finish up some more of that. But um, I'm telling you that you will never be quite done with the flesh. That's one thing to hear from Jimmy Young, and what does he know? But I just read it to you from Luther. And he's just a man, yes, but he's, uh, he's more, of authority, more of an authority than this man. Take his word for it. Um, it's it's never altogether extinct. It rises up again and again and wrestles with the Spirit. Oh, does it ever. Let's quit. Our Father, I I do pray that you will remind your people that we are in a battle, that um, uh, because we have gotten this new nature by regeneration, that we now have the life of the Spirit that wages war against the, um, the life of the flesh. And um, would you enable us as we walk by the Spirit to win these battles more and more? Might we find more and more victory as we walk, as we yield, as we submit And as we trust, do that, Father, so that we might be brought into, made into, more and more, the image of Jesus Christ. And we pray, of course, in his name.